Hello, you're listening to the Never Heard of It podcast. I'm Sean Harwell. And I'm Craig Moorhead, and this is the podcast uh, where we talk about the movies that have fallen through our cracks. It sure, sure is. Craig, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you doing, Sean? Terrible. Let's not talk about that. Okay, Let's good. move on to how you guys can find us on, <laughs> on the web at neverheardpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at, at neverpodcast. And if you get a chance, maybe uh, leave a kind word on iTunes. It helps people find our podcast because some people out there really need it. I hope you've been enjoying the mini episodes. We're going to continue to do those bi-weekly. Uh, they're kind of fun. And those are not on our website, but you can find them on iTunes and YouTube. And they'll probably end up on the website at some point. Yeah. If you subscribe, it'll just show up. And you don't have to think about it ever again. It's really the easiest thing in the so, world to do. Something to think it? about. So easy. Uh, Craig, last time we talked, I asked you if you'd heard of a movie called Phoenix. I um, said no, I had not. Yeah, and then I was like, have you heard of a city called Phoenix? And I said, yes, yes, I have. So that was good. That was a bit of a relief, yes. Phoenix is a 2014 German drama. Uh, it came out in the United States in 2015. It was directed by Christian Petzold. Um, as always, when we're talking foreign films, forgive me on my pronunciations completely. No, I think you nailed that one. I kind of feel like that's how it is. Yeah. Um, it was adapted from the 1961 novel, which is French, uh, for the return from the ashes, <laughs> by Hubert Montilier. Mm. And it stars Nina Haas and Ronald Zerfeld. Um, it also stars an actress who I enjoyed quite a bit named Nina Kunzendorf. Love it. Those are your actors. Our synopsis today comes from lovely Wikipedia. Phoenix is set within Germany in the aftermath of World War II, because why else would you make a movie about or in Germany if it's not about WW2? Anyway, where Nellie, a Jew who was able to survive an Auschwitz concentration camp, decides to go back to her husband Johnny in Berlin, despite her reconstructed face after disfigurement due to a bullet wound. Thus, her husband is unable to recognize who she is. The film marks the sixth collaboration between Petzold and Haas, as well as being the second film both Haas and Zerfeld star opposite each other after Barbara in 2012, which was also directed by Petzold. Um, that synopsis is pretty much to the point. I think so. um, this is a very small, contained film, and... We are absolutely going to talk about the ending. It's an important ending. And when I heard about this movie, that's what stuck with me, was they were talking about how awesome the ending was or how uh, significant and memorable the ending was. Yeah. So if you're the type that uh, you know doesn't want things spoiled for you, go watch the movie and then come back. It's only like an hour and a half, and uh, it is on Netflix. And I would stress that uh, the ending is not the only reason to watch this movie. I think it's really good all the way through. But the ending is pretty tight. Indeed, indeed. Um, also, just before we get too far with this, uh, Nina Haas, some of you may recognize from Homeland. I believe she plays a character named Astrid. I've not yet made it to that series. I really need to. Um, but you may know her from that. She was also in A Most, a Most Wanted Man. And Ronald Zerfeld was in a bunch of German movies. So unless you're really up to your uh, up to speed on your German cinema... 
I feel okay saying you may not recognize him, but I thought he was really cool. Craig. Sean. Any, any idea what you were getting into with this? Um, I can't remember, but did I tell you it was a German film? I think you told me it was a German okay. film. I think you told me it was uh, from 2014. Uh, so I knew that much uh, going in. I did read a little bit about it before going in. So I kind of understood what the premise was going to be. Cool. It sounded like one of those great small premises that, you know, a, a, a good hour and a half movie can pretty much sustain itself without having to, you know, give you a lot of car chases and that kind of stuff. And by God, it does. I mean, this is a pretty contained movie, but all the interest you need is is there. Yeah, absolutely. I got to admit that the whole time I was watching this, and in fact, I think I told my wife who watched it with me, um, that this I, I thought this movie was nominated for Best Foreign Film last year at the Oscars. Yeah. And I was totally wrong. <laughs> um, uh, up till like about 10 minutes prior to recording this podcast, I finally looked at it and was like, oh, I, there was even like part of me that thought maybe it won. And so, you know, I was prepared to say, you know, really, like this was on my radar because of, uh, I, I think I heard them talking about it on the Film Spotting podcast, and a lot of people probably have heard about this movie, but still, yeah. we should be watching these movies to get nominated for Best Foreign Film. This one wasn't even nominated, so <laughs> I think um, by that token, it's probably a little less heard of than some of those movies. Um, that said, really strong reviews on this movie, and I don't know if you know Petzold's other films have sort of cross the pond in a significant way. I, I don't recognize some of those titles, but he does seem to work with a lot of these different actors. And I think probably following Phoenix, uh, there will be a lot of international spotlight on this guy, particularly here in America. I would agree. All right. Let's, let's talk a little bit about this movie and how it's set up. Um, you sort of open some really cool shots that kind of reminded me of things in uh, Bridge of Spies. I don't know if you saw that last Spielberg yeah. movie. Um, but yeah, you're, you're inside a car. You're coming to a checkpoint. Um, the camera, if I remember correctly, was sort of just placed right in the middle of the back seat looking out forward. So yeah. you're, not, you know, you're not really seeing the faces of the driver and the passenger until they get to that checkpoint. Um, God, they're going back into Germany, right? Yes. And the guards are Swiss, maybe? Or... Well, I they thought they were Jew. American. Okay, I did two for a little bit, and then I, there was something in the accent that made me think maybe they weren't. Yeah. Um, but so basically, yes, you've got this uh, American soldier questioning this driver, whose name is Lena, which is... That's uh, the name that I uh, just pulled out of that. Nina Kunzendorf. Terrific performance per in this. Perfect and perfect pronunciation. Also. Thank you. <laughs> That's a tricky one. Mm -hmm. She's driving the car. The soldier is basically looking in the passenger seat at a woman, or I, I don't even know if he can tell that it's a woman, a person wrapped heavily in bandages around their face and asking to see the face of this person. You know, the driver, uh, Lena, is saying, you know, she's not Ava Braun. You don't have to worry about this. This is not necessary. And he's saying, I don't care. Take it off. Show me your face. Um, and then a very smart, I think, filmmaking decision. You don't see the face then. Of course, because I think, I don't know. It would have been a totally different movie tonally, I think, had they shown her face at that point. Yeah. Um, there's so much power in the mystery of not knowing that right then. 
And then I, I think this is a cool movie to talk about as far as looking at how long you can withhold a mystery. Um, you know, there's certain points where you can do that and it just feels like you're withholding for withholding's sake. I don't, I, I think this movie managed that expertly. Yeah. So anyway, they cross the border. We don't know what this woman looks like. We don't really know what's happened. We just know something bad has happened. Her face is in bandages. This other woman is taking her into Germany. Um, and there, you know, she goes through surgery, which I have to point out, I do think the doctor's name, did you pick up on this, Craig? Dr. Bong Arts. <laughs> I did not. I, I'm sure that was not how it's pronounced at all. It's B-O-N-G-A-R-T-Z. And see, this is what we Americans find comical. <laughs> Bong Arts, guys. Full sweater. <laughs> yeah. So ridiculous. To good know. times. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're, they're talking to her even about the, the language that they're using is reconstructing her face, recreating her face. Um, you know, is she going to look like what she looked like prior? Does she want to look like what she looked like prior? Um, you're just getting pieces of information about who this person, Nellie, this woman, who's obviously been through something very, very traumatic, is. And more importantly, who she's going to become. Any sort of, I mean, what were your feelings in those like first ten minutes? Um, it's not, it's not like really pitched as like a thriller, as something that's uber tense, and yet there is this sort of like underlying, I would just call it like discomfort. Like I felt like there was going to be something to unravel there that was going to be unpleasant. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it reminded me in a weird way of the Crying Game, kind of the feeling of it. Mm-hmm. Um, where it, it does kind of have that same thing. It's it's not out to shock you. It's a pretty slow boil mystery type of thing. You're in a world that maybe you don't fully understand just just culturally, and so you're you're kind of figuring out like what's happening. Like like it's it's post World War II. So this right. is but yeah, very this is, very you know, recently post World War. II. Very very recently. Yeah, and so. I can't remember a lot of movies that are set during that time that I've seen mm-hmm. that are dealing with people who you like are, are just, yeah, fresh out of this horrible trauma. Even people who didn't go to camps are still completely traumatized because, you know, their entire worlds have been blown up. And, and um, honestly, right from the beginning, I, I was thinking about the story in terms of kind of in terms of, of this attack uh, on, on Brussels that just happened. Oh, interesting. Um, and and kind of and kind of thinking about that, and thinking about mm-hmm. you know things like nine eleven, and and obviously many many other terrorist attacks that have happened, and thinking about so you know if this woman were to kind of represent people who have gone through this sort of trauma, and the way it plays out in this movie, it, it's it's interesting because it's sort of like she's got her friend Lena who is the one who's saying, okay, this horrible trauma happened. Now here's what we need to do. Now we need to progress. We need to move on. We need to go forward we need to go to another place and really set our lives up that kind of thing i mean that place is is palestine which, which is, is palestine. another sort of interesting and that super way, interesting yeah the way that that's revealed is uh correct me if i'm wrong like you you first see the mention of this on a piece of paper that she's working for the agency um something i can't yeah. remember uh, for the nation of palestine you know and obviously the the resettlement of jews into israel what would yeah. become israel and i don't even remember did they ever establish what the specific relationship is between lena and nelly i mean I, no. they're not related correct N- yeah i thought they were just friends yeah 
Um, I wasn't even sure. I mean, I, I, there's definitely a friendship there. Um, but if there was more than that? Well, that, yes. Um, even well, specifically from Lena's standpoint, I think so. Um, but yeah. it, it does seem like that's Lena's job. Like that's what she is in charge of helping, you know, and motivating Jews to leave and not forgive Germany for its sins, which is right. another sort of fascinating element of this thing. And that's, I mean, when you're talking about seeing movies that are set post-war, yeah, like, and thinking about Brussels and, and, you know, even aside from the human aspect of that and the emotional mm-hmm. aspect, but like just Jesus Christ, the logistical nightmare of trying to reestablish a country after something like that. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy. The only, I had seen this, uh, Rosalini film, Germany years, uh, year zero. Obviously it's, it's set right after that. It is super duper bleak, but really, really interesting. And yeah. I mean, it's, it's from 1948. So the rubble that's there is not just set design. It's, it's real. But, um, yeah. what's interesting about this movie, I think specifically coming on the heels of watching something like Manhunt, the Fritz Lang movie that we talked about, the Nazis are never really villains in this thing. Um, and yet they inform, it informs absolutely everything. Like, you know, I mean, this is sort of looking at something where setting impacts so, so much of this story it's really, really kind of cool to see. No, it's true, and and and, and that's that's kind of what gets me uh, aroused. I'm super aroused. <laughs> that's a weird, weird response. It's to a, the I just, but I need response. to be honest about this. Okay. No, um, the thing I kept thinking about was, at least for me, what I felt like Nelly was going through was this feeling of this horrible thing happening, and then her wanting everything to kind of go back the way it was. Yep. To the point where she would pretend to be someone else so that she could be her to her husband. It's really it's really twisted, but that was really the thing. It was like she she kind of wanted to deny that not forgetting, not forgiving, and you know, moving forward and, and going to another place is better than trying to sort of reestablish a life with her husband just so she can feel that normalcy again. Which is right. exactly what you feel. I mean, that's what you would want if you had been through all that trauma you just want to go back to this place where you you knew happiness even though everything has just totally been destroyed right and we'll we'll set that up here in a second as far as like yeah what the that device looks like with the husband but i mean it's all about it's so metaphorically rich as far as just identity yeah i mean her face like she does not she literally does not look like who she used to look like prior to the war um The war has changed her. The war changed her body. It changed her face. The surgery changed her face. And if you want to go look up uh, Nina Haas, uh, really excellent makeup job here as well. Well, and that's an interesting thing too, is kind of the same thing with the face where you didn't know what she looked like in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a really good point. But it's, but it's suggested, you know, that, that she looks different now and, and you buy that. And in the same way, you, you sort of come to realize just through the way she walks around and the way she acts and how subdued and quiet she is and just intro you know, introspective she is. She used to be a cabaret singer. Yeah. Which you see, you know, a few times in the movie, which are not quiet, introspective people. You know, like she used to be <laughs> no, they're not. on stage and, and performing. And so so you know, you you get that too. And 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 it's it's just 
I thought that was really interesting to me because again, it's 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 not shown to you. You you don't see her perform first and then see what the war does. You you just know that and you see how she acts and you realize like those two things don't fit together. And right. and as you go through the movie, you realize, you know, it, it pays off without almost without having to be set up, which I think is great. She comes home from the hospital um, into an apartment that Lena has, has set up for her. Just obviously this is temporary residency until they can move to Palestine, which is what she's pushing Lena to do. Uh, Nellie to do, excuse me. And Nellie, look, she was married. Of course, she wants to go find her husband. Um, the only sort of information she's gotten from Lena is that, you know, she says Johnny doesn't interest me. Johnny's the name of the husband. Nellie gets back. She goes looking for him. You know, she's a musician. Her husband was a musician. There's a pretty interesting scene with a a, uh, blind sort of street violinist who's basically saying, you know, there's there's no music in the you know after the war um, except for in the American sector. And if he's not in the cabaret, look on the street corner. Um, So she goes to one of these cabarets, which is called the Phoenix um, or just Phoenix, um, the name of the club, and that's where she sees Johnny. He's basically I mean, what would you call him? Like a busboy of sorts. She calls his name. He looks over in her direction and just moves on as if he must have misheard something. Um, Which I was thinking about that scene even after it happened. I was like, that man, writing that would be, I would feel like, oh, that's kind of hokey. But the way they directed it, like it felt totally believable, right? Yeah. And then she goes back later, you know, at the protest of of Lena. and she talks to some of the cabaret singers asking if they know where Johnny is. They don't know the name Johnny. And then she sees this guy, her husband, who's going by the name uh, Johannes. And they have a conversation and he straight up does not recognize her. He talks to her as if she were just anybody off the street looking for work. Um, and I, I think that these are the only moments that you know for me it it rec- it did require just a slight the slightest leap of faith but i i went with it but it does like you you sort of you're meant to ask that question like okay would he really not recognize her um and i'll admit like i asked it several times in the movie but i i don't think it's at the fault of the filmmakers i think they kind of want you to ultimately ask that question a little bit right yeah. But she strikes up a conversation with him. They're outside. You know, he's under the pretense that she's looking for work. And so he says, look, if you want work, come with me right now. I have something we can do. We can make a lot of money. And then he takes her back to his apartment and is basically saying, look, my wife died in the war. She has an inheritance of $40,000. I need you to pretend to be my dead wife. We'll show up. We'll get the money. I'll give you 20 grand. You walk away. I'll take 20 grand. I'll walk away. We'll never talk to each other again. But before you can do that, you got to be able to write like her. You got to be able to talk like her. You got to dress like her. You got to, you know, wear your makeup like her. And so then like, that's where the movie kind of shrinks in a way. Like if so much of it is set in this apartment then and her trying to, to learn these sort of, uh, manifestations of, of what this woman was in her husband's mind. Mm-hmm. which is crazy to even think about because she knows exactly uh, who she is or who she was before the war. Um, 
it's such an interesting setup and device that could be done so poorly in so many different ways. But I, I completely went with it. How about you? Yeah, you know, I, I, I bought that enough. I figure, you know, she, she acts completely differently. She looks different enough. I was along for the ride on all that. Well, here's the big question, I yeah. think, is because anytime you have a device like this where, you know, you, you have to say, okay, well, could this all be resolved if one of the characters just told the truth, right? Right. Did you ever want to see Nellie or did, did it occur to you while you're watching this, like, this would be a good point for Nellie to just tell him, I am your wife, you know? No. Because, okay. That's, I mean, that I think is the hardest trick to pull off for sure. It is. And I think this movie did it extremely well. Yeah. Because, it, yes, because in every scene you have to know why she's not doing that. And I think a lot of movies stumble because of exactly that, where there are plenty of scenes where you just feel like you could just have a conversation and everything's fine. But I mean, in this, yeah, I mean, she, it, it, it's all because of that seed of doubt that Lena plants in her head about right. your husband may have been the one who turned you in, turned mm-hmm. you and your family in. Again, it's kind of her trying to have her cake and eat it too, in a way. She wants to kind of pretend he maybe didn't do that, so she doesn't want to reveal that it's her, because who knows what that's going to mean. But she's sort of she's ignoring, you know, a a a, a pretty horrible uh, possibility, yeah, just so that she can be near him and feel a little bit normal, which I think is really what what gives such good tension to every scene, and Absolutely. you keep watching Johnny to try and figure it out. Like, is he just a cold fish? Is any of this getting through to him? Does he know it's her? And he's like and, waiting for her to admit it? Yeah. And it's such a believable, like relatable thing on a human level of wanting the people you love to not be the worst thing that you could imagine, right? Yeah. I thought that guy did a great job. I mean, that Ronald Zerfield guy, because... Whether or not I sort of question myself whether, okay, like you wouldn't, as a husband, you wouldn't recognize your wife's voice or... or The way she moves or... Yeah, certain things about her. Right. There's nothing about his performance that ever led me to believe like he did not 100% think this woman was not his wife. Yeah. From start to finish. Like it's never, like there's never a moment of wishy-washiness from him as an actor in that performance. Um, which is is great and obviously completely necessary. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, that is sort of the bulk of the second act of this movie is watching her transform into his version of who his wife is. And it becomes most interesting, I think, when he starts... It's so... I mean, it's almost kind of comical, his plan for this reunion at the train station where she's going to get off the train... Um, you know, presumably straight from a concentration camp or wherever they may have taken her afterwards. And she's going to show up in this really nice dress and she's going to be wearing lipstick and she's going to have her hair done and she's going to carry herself gracefully because that's Nellie. That's the right. Nellie that everybody knows. And that's the Nellie that is going to sell the fact that they should get this inheritance. And yet here she is saying, Johnny, your wife just got out of a concentration camp. They don't look like that. Like they're not going to be yeah. wearing lipstick. She's not going to look like she's eaten. Um, you know, and it, that's a really interesting thing too, because it's it sort of obviously 
You know, it says so much about the disconnect between, you know, the information on the ground, I guess, like, you know, it'd be the real sort of understanding of what actually went on in those camps yeah. versus this woman who obviously was there. Um, you know, and then it, it progresses further with him saying, okay, you would have had a number tattooed on your, your arm and Nellie would have tried to scrape that off. So you need to go into the room and take care of that. It's going to hurt, but sorry, that's what you got to do. It's the last thing you got to do. Um, and I don't know, I just, I thought that shift was really fascinating. And that was sort of, I mean, her performance was so good. Like you could see the real sort of struggle that she had with that, with sort of wanting to, again, like what you're talking about, believe that her husband is a good person and not the person that turned her in, Yeah. but also seeing real evidence that he has no clue, or even if he does, he has no sympathy for what she actually went through, you Yeah. Know? Well, like, and, and there's the thing where you know she's coming she's coming to that point where she's gonna have to make a decision is she gonna try and live in the past or move on yeah. with things and and everything that he's doing as you get you know further and further down the line everything he's doing is pushing her back toward who she was and just trying to erase everything that's happened to her mm-hmm. um and, and as you go through you know again you're right she she brings up the fact that, you know she wouldn't look like this. She wouldn't be wearing these shoes or this dress. You know, she would have stories about the concentration camp and she tells that story, which again, isn't even a gory, like horrible no. story, but it's so, I don't know, haunting. So, yeah. um, so sad just, just mm-hmm. in those words. Uh, and, 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 and yeah, the more she goes through it, she's, she's sort of just revealing to herself how, you know, I, I can't pretend I didn't go through this. And, and 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 again, yeah, she's kind of learning, you know, she's kind of getting closer and closer to the realization that Johnny is not that great a dude. And uh and yeah, I mean, and that progression all that stuff happens so smoothly. And and yeah, again, it's just done so well. It just pulls you through it. The one thing I thought was was super fascinating in this movie was uh Lena gives uh Nelly a gun. And like this is I, I looked, it's about like thirty four minutes into the movie. Conventional wisdom tells you that gun is going to go off, right? Like, yeah. and we're going to see that. And that's that's not at all what happens here. I mean, spoiler, we could we could maybe imply that a gun does go off and we yes. find out, you know, very close to towards the end of the movie that Lena sh- kills herself. Which that, again, is like, it's an interesting decision the way they did it because you don't see any of that. I mean, I, we haven't even seen that character in minutes i mean like in a good stretch of this movie um and yet it has a pretty powerful impact and the information that's left behind is that piece of paper and that information that johnny filed for divorce prior to it was after his arrest right yeah prior to her arrest um obviously implying that he did so to further distance himself in the eyes of the nazi party from his jewish wife and that's sort of what shakes her core right at the perfect moment before she's about to go meet these people and pretend to be Nellie, Johnny's wife, to an audience, basically. And so, I don't know. Are we ready to dive into that last home stretch here? I think we should. This is yeah. uh, definitely the time to turn it off if you really don't want to know what happens at the very end. Eh, spoilers, spoilers. If it's a good movie, you can't spoil it. This is a good it's movie. True. A, did you know you were at the end? And B, was it satisfying? Let's let's cover those bases first. Um, I didn't know I was at the end until 
uh, she told him that she wanted to sing a song. Mm, and I okay. feel like when, when she said that she wanted to sing a song, I felt like I know exactly where I am right now. Okay, cool. And, and, I, and I kind of, and I mean, I basically know exactly what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no question. She, she pushes up her sleeves yeah. and starts singing. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, you know what's going to happen. And, um, but the, the whole scene is so enjoyable to watch because you're just waiting for that moment, much like for the rest, with the rest of the movie. And in that way, it's very much like a Hitchcock movie where he, they want you to know everything. Mm-hmm. Like, here's everything that you need to know. And now you're just waiting. The suspense is you're just waiting for the like the the the, the parties other to find to out. Drop, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I, I thought it was incredible. It, it, it stayed with with the smallness of the rest of the movie. She sings a song. He stops playing. Looks yeah, at her, piano. Looks yeah. at her arm and sees numbers. You know, kind of coming out of her sleeve, meaning her. You know, her concentration camp code that they tattoo on people. And at the end of her song, she walks out the door. Like, those are the beats that happen, essentially. Yeah, and there, he's there, just there's left no sitting monologue. there, Yeah. You're just left with this cold feeling and this guy realizing what he did and and our, our, our hero deciding this is the new Nelly. She can't ignore what went on and, and, and she has to uh, push forward. Totally agree, and I think you're right to bring up the the smallness of it, and like in keeping within the tone of the uh, and the scope of the film. Like, so, I mean, what a cool thing to to sort of do that's both visual and yet, like I I just I have a hard time imagining I'm gonna forget the image of of her sleeve up. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like that when somebody says the movie Phoenix, I mean that's the first thing I'm gonna think of. And what a powerful thing to do with such a simple like that does that doesn't require any effects like there's right. no CGI set extension going on here like it's literally just one shot of a woman's sleeve halfway up and um, yeah what a great device to build to if you can do it I mean that's what you know I think it was at that moment where I'm like holy cow this movie got nominated for best foreign film it feels like it could have been made for like two million dollars you know yeah. <laughs> like what a great feat that they pulled off here. Um, what a nice thing to see a movie where you your character has zero power basically until the last shot like and that is the moment where she sort of becomes the power player in this scenario which she's always had that power to to put a stop to that whole thing you know that whole charade mm-hmm. um but doing so at any moment prior to that would have had much different consequences. It would not have had the impact on Johnny um, that was necessary and that was um, just and that was completely sort of all-encompassing until that moment. Yeah. That's what's so great about the movie. It's not mm-hmm. It's not overly clever. It's not trying to trick you. There is no twist. I mean, right. again, you know... The only thing you kind of don't know is what are Johnny's intentions? That's almost the only mystery. Like, what happened? How did this really go down? Why did she end up being arrested? Right. That's really the only mystery. And it's not that big a mystery. Um, and that's what I think is so great about it. I mean, this is this movie is such a good example of, you know, yes, you don't need huge plot twists. <laughs> you don't yeah. need to, like have a thing that happens that redefines the entire story in the middle of the movie. You just have these elements. I mean, it's not just because to make a movie this good, 
still takes a, a thousand miracles. Oh yeah. But you know, to 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 have just these simple things and just trust this movie, trust these ideas, trust the fact that you can make this into something that when people are watching it, they are in the head of of the woman, and they understand why she's making these choices. I mean, it's it's fantastic. I would I would kill to come up with a a premise that tight where yeah like i could i could spend most of the movie in a room with two people and it never be boring yeah apparently this movie or this novel that this is sourced upon and apparently there are some very significant changes uh was made into a movie in 1965 called return from the ashes as a british drama directed by jay lee thompson so i don't know maybe we'll try to get my hands on that yeah and, and see how different that is because, yeah, I just, it felt like every, all the pieces kind of came together really, really well in this movie. And um, I don't know. I think our last three picks here between Manhunt, uh, Why Don't You Play in Hell, and this speaks highly of, of directors not born in America. <laughs> yeah. Craig. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we can't talk about foreign films without talking English language remake. Um, do you think this movie would translate? Um, and and if so, let's talk about what other settings you could use other than that that WW two Germany because it feels like if you were going to do that again, why bother? You know, just, right. you've got German actors doing it perfectly here. Well, yeah, um, yeah, I certainly wouldn't want to make. Yeah, I, I certainly want, wouldn't want to make this movie just yeah. with American actors and everything. Yeah, that would ruin everything. I kind of think as far as like foreign movies, I mean, this this one was, was made kind of perfectly in that way. Uh, mm-hmm. Even it, it, it outdoes uh, Manhunt uh, in, in terms of, you know, <laughs> people who are native Germans, they speak German and uh, we have to read some subtitles and everything's fine. And nice to see a female-centered extremely powerful performance yeah. here um, after the criticism that we lodged. Absolutely. I mean, that I, poor yeah, actress so, in so Manhunt. I, I think de- definitely there, you know, there could definitely be a remake. It, it would just, it would be sort of the same thing that they did with this one, which is, yeah, you're going to, you're going to change the setting. You're going to change the events. It's not going to be something as, um, uh, I don't know, cataclysmic as the end of World War II. Uh, so that's going to be the thing. Like it's, it's probably going to feel like a smaller movie, but really when you get right down to it, the movie is, is about, you know, this woman has gone through this traumatic experience. Her husband might be responsible for it. And all she wants to do is be with that guy. This, this might, uh, stretch believability too far, but I mean, what if it's just as simple as, um, whoever the husband is, has enough of a tie into some, disreputable characters that he knows something bad is going to happen to a certain place and he sends his wife there Interesting. somehow you know oh i yeah. need this thing go there on this day and the thing happens and then someone suggests he knew that she was going to happen like he yeah. he wanted you to die so that he could get an inheritance or something like that wife insurance yeah, yeah. Okay, we're back from writing our screenplay, and uh, we're going to get that out the door tomorrow. We'll post it online. It really wrote and, itself. Uh, yeah, you'll see it's pretty good. It's called Flagstaff. Um, I thought we were going with Reno. 
I want oh, to be shit. Reno. Yeah, I forgot. Reno. Okay. Yeah, Reno. Boy, that takes on a whole different thing. Hey, wait, Sean. Seriously, though. A movie called Reno Failure. Think about it. Re- Reno Failure? Yeah, that's just that's just a title. I'm just it, throwing it out there. I don't know what it means. Is that like Renal Failure? It's like Renal Failure, exactly. Reno but it's failure. Reno like Failure. Title. So I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a guy. He's, <laughs> he's transporting like kidneys or something yeah. to Reno. He loses them. It's a whole... It's chaos. I'm sorry. No, I, I got I way off track there. No, I think you got on track. Reno Failure. Um, and the tracks went to Reno. <laughs> All right, should we talk about next time? Let's talk about next time, Sean. So what I'm thinking, Sean, instead of suggesting a movie this time, maybe we go with a, a listener-suggested one. I think that's a good idea. And uh, and I think you actually answered uh, this one on uh, Twitter, and so I'll bring it up now. Okay. Uh, um, a friend of the podcast and listener, I believe it's uh, pronounced uh, Hiath Michels? Michelle? Michelle? Nailed it. Nailed it. Okay. And he said, um, had we ever seen the movie Emerald Forest? The Emerald Forest. Now, this is a John Borman movie, and I've never seen it. Me either. But I have heard of it because I distinctly remember this poster from when I was a kid and seeing it in theaters and thinking it was some kind of a horror movie, but having no clue what it was about. Um, well, and then you went on that whole search a couple years looking for the Emerald Forest. Yeah, I went to uh, a savage, the most savage jungle in the world, which right now I can't wait to find out what Reno. jungle we're talking about. In Reno? It's in Reno, yeah. It's in yeah. Reno. That was my first <laughs> Reno failure. But, uh... Well, Craig, I, have n- I had never heard of this movie, so maybe I spoke for the two of us, but I do think it would be fun to watch the Emerald Forest. Do you know, is it streaming? I'm going to bet it is not streaming. I think we're going to have to rent a I think DVD you're right. at this, for this one. Yeah, or check YouTube. Um, however you got to do it, find this movie, check it out, watch it, and we will talk about it next time. The Emerald Forest, do you know what year it's from? Uh, I'm about to find out. Okay. If you were a kid, that was 1964. 64, 65, yeah. yeah. Sean, of course I know what year that was. That was uh, 1985. Okay, 1985's The Emerald Forest. Mm -hmm. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you got comments, you know where to leave them, and we'd love to hear from you. And if not, that's that's totally fine, too. Yes, don't feel bad. Bye.